If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17 together. And a, ti- a message entitled this morning, I Have Questions. The truth is, this sermon is about me as a little boy. Maybe it's about you as a little boy and as an adult as well. That question everything. You want to know that magic three-letter word that you ask your parents over and over and over again, and that is, why? Why are things the way they are? My kids have done this to me as well. I see you pointing fingers, yep. My, My kids have done this to me as well. My favorite is we'll be driving down the road, and they'll ask a question like, who lives in that house? I... I don't know. You know, why is that car blue? I, I don't know. That's the color they painted it. We have all of these questions as a kid we want answers to, and sometimes they're easy answers. You know, I know who lives in that house. That's so-and-so, and he's been there for this long. Other times it's, I have no clue. I've never seen this house before. We're driving through Georgia. I don't know. You know? Sometimes as adults we have questions. We have easy answers to them, and sometimes we have difficult answers to And I wonder this morning if any of you have approached faith saying, I have questions. I'm just not sure. This morning, I want to talk about how important it is that that we not only listen to questions as a church, but that we answer questions as a church. That we not only hear questions as individuals, but we're prepared to answer questions as individuals. And this morning, you may have questions of your own. I want to encourage you this morning, to ask those questions, to find and look for answers to those questions. So we're all going to channel our inner toddler, our inner child, and we're going to approach the Word of God this morning with our questions. Lord, would you teach me and show me truth from your Word? Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 13 through 17 together, and then ask a couple of things and, and talk about a couple of things. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for, the, for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. As we approach God's word this morning, we're going to come at it one of two ways. You're going to come at it one of two ways. Maybe you're actually coming at it both ways, but there's two different angles that we can approach 1 Peter chapter 3. The first is as the person asking a question. I want answers and I need to know. When you put yourselves in the shoes of someone asking and hoping that there's someone there prepared to give an answer. So maybe that's you this morning, and as we open up God's Word, you sit there and say, I've got questions. I hope somebody can give answers and a defense for the reason, for the hope that we have. But I want to say, if you're a believer this morning, you need to also approach it from the other angle. As a matter of fact, every Christian in here, and the crux of this message is that every Christian in here needs to approach the Word of God 
1 Peter chapter 3 from this particular angle, and that is, I am ready to give an answer. I have an answer. I'm ready to share the answer. Now, if we took a Bible quiz in here this morning, maybe you're at home, I don't have a poll to throw up on the screen, and probably should have done that and seen how much we could stump people. If we were ready for a Bible quiz this morning, just a, a simple overview of truths of Scripture, how many of you all think you could graduate summa cum laude? <laughs> how many of you all think you could at least get a passing grade on your Bible quiz if we threw a Bible quiz this morning? All right, uh, A few more hands that go up. How many of you all, you don't have to raise your hand, you can internally do this dialogue, say, I would probably fail miserably, and please don't give us a Bible quiz this morning. <laughs> If you're a believer in Christ, I don't think any of us will ever know and have the Bible memorized word for word and be ready to know everything there is to know about everything. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, can I beg you and plead you this morning to make it your goal to know the word so well that you're ready to give an answer? I really only have one question I want to ask us this morning before we we look at the scriptures and that question is, why are people leaving the church? I don't mean First Baptist Church. We've actually had a, a growing season the last few years. I'm thankful for how God has blessed new families to our, our church family. I, I'm blessed to be able to talk to people about the gospel and, and hear them come to Christ. I love to see our church growing. But if we look at our nation and our culture as a whole, people are exiting the church. A lot of mainline churches are shrinking so much so that they're on the brink of, of death. We even see conservative Baptist churches that once had their heyday of, of millions and millions of, of attenders now shrink down to, to a shell of what it once was. We see main, uh, popular, evangelical Christian leaders who have since writing songs and writing books defending the Christian faith, have set their faith aside and walked away. One man in particular, Jonathan Steingart, is, is kind of close to my heart. He's the lead singer of a band called Hawk Nelson. Have you heard of the Christian group Hawk Nelson? Right, a handful. The reason why he's close to my heart is my first youth ministry job. That was like the anthem band for my youth group. They loved Hawk Nelson. Not only that, any trip we went on, we put on a Hawk Nelson CD, and they had a mini mosh pit in the back of our 15-passenger van. You know how hard it is to be 21 years old and try to drive a 15-passenger van while it's rocking back and forth? It was awesome. Trust me with your kids when we go to camp next summer. <clears throat> it played a huge part in the faith of many of my kids in that first youth group, and just recently... Their lead singer, John Steingart, has made a, a very public declaration that he is walking away from the Christian faith and he no longer believes in God. We see, even before that last year, a very popular author, a Christian pastor who had written many books on Christian dating that had helped many youth in the past, a man named Joshua Harris, who similarly decided he was walking away from the faith. Not all of these popular Christian leaders are completely abandoning the faith. They're trying to hold on to a little bit of the church, but they're abandoning core doctrines. It's been over 10 years ago that a very popular pastor 
A man by the name of Rob Bell decided he didn't believe in many of the tenets of Scripture any longer. He still was pastoring. He still was going to continue to lead his church. But he didn't believe there was a hell. He didn't believe that God would send people or judge people in any capacity. And he embraced all sorts of moral licentiousness without ever abandoning his church. He definitely abandoned the doctrines of Scripture. More recently, a a woman who many of our women in the church are are very familiar with, have heard her speak even since I've been here, named Jen Hatmaker, who made her living as a conservative Christian women's leader, has now denounced many of the Christian doctrines that have, have given her her platform. And while she maintains a semblance of faith, she no longer teaches Scripture. We see not only popular personalities, but our everyday people in our community. There seems to be a switch that's flipped when our students graduate high school and go off to college. It changes from, I I want to be at church and I want to be around my Christian brothers and sisters in Christ to, I'm going to come when it's convenient. Eventually fizzles out to, I may not come at all. Why is it that people are leaving the church? Why is it that you have friends that that once were a part of a church family and now have walked away or, or maybe don't believe at all? Maybe they have questions that aren't being answered, but they're not present. Why do we have a culture? Why do we live in a nation that is abandoning truths from Scripture and embracing a worldview absent of God and faith? That's the one question I want to ask this morning. Why do we see an exodus from our church? And I want to tell you this morning, if you're a believer in Christ, get ready to have your toes stepped all over because the answer is, most of the time, because of you and I. I want to look at three reasons why I believe people are leaving the church. And I think as we look at these three reasons, we can correct all three. If we as believers in Christ will start doing the things that God calls us to do, it will be unbelievable how how all of a sudden God can use us in ways that he wasn't before. So if you have your bulletin pulled up on your phone or tablet, you can follow along or you can follow up on the screen. Three reasons why I think people are leaving the church. First is that suffering has become our greatest fear. And by our, I mean us as Christians. We are so afraid to suffer. Listen to what Peter writes in this passage we just read. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Peter is writing to a group of believers that is under heavy persecution. You can actually read the whole book of 1 Peter and see him talk over and over again about their persecution. And it wasn't just they're being pestered or bothered or the culture speaks out against them. No, what we find is that the the Christians Peter is writing to are being killed, are being ripped away from their families, imprisoned, beaten, and put on crosses. This was the suffering they were enduring. And Peter writes to them, He writes to them and he says, have no fear, do not be troubled. We are blessed to live in a nation that we are not being ripped away from our families, thrown in jail, beaten and crucified for our faith. And yet we do experience persecution 
we do experience a, a time of being ridiculed, and we have decided as believers in Christ that it is more important that we save face than we stand true to the Word of God. You know, today the gospel is spreading fastest in places of suffering. You think of the underground church in China, and it is flourishing, where they're illegally meeting in homes, in small groups, and in houses, and the gospel is going out. One of my, my partners in, in evangelism had shared with me not that long ago that there was a, a man who went on a, a trip to India and decided to become a missionary, was there short-term, ended up there long-term, and they closed down the mosque in his town. They closed it down because all of the, the religious people in the mosque were converting to Christianity. We see places around the world where, where Christians are literally being silenced by, by being beaten or thrown in prison and the gospel is exploding because the suffering brings out their faithfulness. But here in America, in order to avoid what little suffering we might feel that we're enduring, we've compromised God's word. We've silenced it. Instead of saying, it doesn't matter what may come, it doesn't matter how I may suffer, I'm going to share the truth of God's word, we have cowered away. We're too afraid and too nervous. And so what we find is a lost world that sees Christianity without a backbone. It sees the church as, as wishy-washy. They see us living one way and, and teaching a different way. They see us read scripture and amen and praise the Lord. And then they see us when they ask us questions on Monday morning, cowering back in fear. I wonder this morning if we have embraced suffering as part of the Christian faith, or if we are so afraid to be persecuted and ridiculed that we back away. I think the reason why we see so many churches dying is because we see the church in America has become more and more liberal when it comes to the word of God. They're ignoring the truths of Scripture. They're ignoring what God teaches. This morning, I wonder if we can, we can embrace the suffering for standing for truth. If we can be like, like Peter says to the church and have no fear and say, you may say what you want, but I will not compromise the Word of God. A second reason why I think people are exiting the church, why they're leaving the faith, is that we, as believers, have failed to answer difficult questions. For so long, when someone asks a question that we don't know the answer to, we have given this response. Well, you just have to have faith. Can I tell you, that's a true statement. That is not a lie, and that is a biblically true statement. But for a person who doesn't have faith, that does not help them at all. So when they start asking questions, why does the secular world teach me this and the Bible teach me that? How do you reconcile what we see in nature and what Scripture teaches in creation? How do we answer these questions? It's not enough for a lost world for us to go, I don't know and it doesn't matter, just believe. Can I tell you there's no other aspect of your life that that will cut it? Imagine going into the doctor and you, you're talking to the doctor about having a surgery and you're asking a lot of intimate questions about what he's going to do and, and how he's going to do it. And he just looks at you and says, you know what, I, I got to be honest, um, I don't have all those answers right now, but if you'll just have faith, 
We'll get through this surgery. I think I'd turn around and find another doctor. Can you imagine hiring a babysitter to watch your young children, maybe your grandchildren, and you saying, can you tell me kind of your background and your protocol if something goes wrong and, and what's your track record of keeping track of you know, my kids? And, and they say, you know, I don't really know exactly how to do all the things you're asking me to do, but if you'll leave your kids with me and trust me, just have faith, I'll make sure everything works out in the end. Can you imagine the horror on people's faces when they look at us as believers and say, how do you reconcile these difficult questions? And we say, you know, I've not really studied Scripture enough to know whether that's right or whether that's wrong, but could you just trust me and believe and have faith? If it doesn't work for a doctor, if it doesn't work for child care, it certainly doesn't work for people in faith either. Cultural Christianity is the reason why the phrase, just have faith, has had so much teeth. You know, for years and years and years, it was culturally acceptable to be a Christian. And so there were a lot of lost people in churches that didn't know what they believed, but they were proclaiming faith. Whether they had it or not, we don't know. And that became a mantra for people to cover up the fact that they didn't want to study Scripture. I don't know, just have faith. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to approach God's word differently. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, that is set apart, as otherworldly, as something we can't possibly have all the answers to. And so we need to study and know, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is an intimidating and convicting passage of Scripture. Always be prepared to make a defense. And we just showed a, a raise of hands earlier that admitted not all of us are ready to make a defense. And it's really easy for me to, to stand up here as your pastor and say, that's okay, do better next time. I don't think that's what Peter is saying at all. I think he's saying, if you're not ready, get ready. If you don't know the word, you better be in the word. If you're not prepared to answer people about your faith, you better do some reading and some studying. You better know because there are people who are asking questions and need to know these answers, and they're asking the church. And where are you, church? Well, we're not certain that we, we know those answers because we're not prepared to read Scripture and be in the word together. When we avoid difficult questions, the world assumes that we don't have an answer, and that's a lie. The truth is we have an answer. We're just not disciplined enough to study and read it. It's not for a lack of knowing. It's for a lack of us applying ourselves. I want to encourage you that as you read this, if you're worried that people will go to heaven or hell based on your answers, that is not what this teaches. There is nobody on the planet that will ever be saved because you have an answer to a question. It doesn't work that way. They will be saved because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Him alone. However, I know because I've talked to people who refuse to ever take that step because they have questions that nobody will answer for them. I don't believe you can save anybody with your answers, but you can be a stumbling block, and I think many times we are. We failed to answer those difficult questions. 
When people come to us wanting to know answers, we have brushed it under the rug, and I'm imploring you and begging you as a church, take their questions seriously. If you don't know the answer, tell them you'll find out the answer and get in your word and learn it. And then go back to them and say, listen, this is, this is what the Bible teaches. We see people leaving the church because we failed to answer these difficult questions. And thirdly, because we've not had answers, we've become defensive. And our third reason why people are leaving the church is because our attitude is hostile toward the world. Our attitude is hostile towards the world. We view lost people and our culture around us as an enemy instead of those who are in need of the gospel. We look around us and we say, you're attacking me, and so I'm going to attack you. You view our culture as something we need to fight as opposed to something that the Lord needs to save. I tell you, The world is not our enemy. Our battle is not against people. Write this verse down and follow along on the screen. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against human beings, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not with the culture. We're not trying to win an argument against lost people. The truth is, the battle has already been won. We're called to get them on our side. Too many times we view the culture around us as as something we need to fight. So we argue and we bicker. We get angry and we shake our fist. Our enemy is not people. According to Ephesians 6, our enemy is something Something more sinister than that. As Peter is writing the book of 1 Peter, he's, he's writing about suffering, and, and he wants to, to share this with his readers as well. That it's not those who are persecuting you that are your enemies. No, there is a, a greater enemy. And so in 1 Peter chapter 5, just a couple of chapters later, if you have your Bible and you're flipping through, you can look at that with me. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, he identifies who our enemy is. He says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Why? Because your adversary or your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Our true enemy is not humanity. Our true enemy are the spiritual powers, Satan and his demons that are fighting against us. We have bought into the lie that standing for truth means hating those who are the liars. That's not what Scripture teaches. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we are enemies not of each other, but we were enemies of God. And how did God treat us as His enemies? While we were yet sinners, enemies of the cross of Christ, in that moment, it's when Christ died for us. 1 Peter wants us to know that there are people who are hostile against us. They're leaving the faith in the church and they're not our enemies. Instead, they are our brothers and sisters who need to know the Lord. People are leaving because they view the church as hostile. As we wrap up this morning, I want to reread verses 16, 17 and then give you one bonus verse this morning. 
1 Peter 3, 16 and 17 tells us that as we're addressing people, we need to have a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Verse 17, For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter reminds us to be people who are gentle, respectful, have a good conscience, a clear conscience, who willingly embrace suffering, who are ready to stand for truth and accept whatever consequences that may come, who view our enemy not as people, but as an adversary, the devil, who's looking to divide and destroy us. And our last verse this morning, your bonus verse, is verse 18. Why is it that we need to work so diligently? 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This morning, I hope that as we approach our community, our culture, the lost world, that we will remember what the goal is. It's not to win an argument. It's not to to be louder It's not even to be bold. The goal, according to 1 Peter 3.18, is to bring other people to Christ. We should treat each person as if Christ died for them. Because He did. So this morning, as we think of a world that has questions, as we think of a world who's, who's wondering and looking for truth, Can we as believers say we've not done enough to be in our word, to know the truth and to share the truth? Can we make a commitment to be prepared because we're going to read Scripture, know what the Bible says? Can we be ready when someone asks us a question to to say, I'll find an answer, get into God's word, talk to other godly people who can lead you and point you in the right direction? Can we address the questions of a lost world and remove that stumbling block? This morning, maybe you have more questions. Maybe you're wondering and curious exactly how this faith things work. Can can I tell you? There are answers. Maybe you've not heard them before. Maybe you've asked them a thousand times and no one shared with you. Can I tell you this morning, I would love to open up the Bible and share with you how you can know Christ. As we pray this morning, right where you're at, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, this morning... We come before you thankful that you give us answers. Father, we admit to you that we've not done enough to study your word. Lord, I pray this morning that you would make us faithful to to embrace a hostile world and embrace suffering. Let us not be fearful. Lord, as, as we come before you this morning, give us a desire to be in your word so we can answer those difficult questions. And Lord, let us love people as if you died for them because you did. Father, if there are those this morning who have more questions and and want to talk more about faith, maybe they've got unanswered things in their minds, Lord, convict them this morning to, to know your word, to talk to myself or others in here who may be able to point them in the right direction. 